Welcome to the Pineapple Express podcast, a millennial swingers podcast, the podcast that explores the diverse and dynamic world of non-monogamous relationships. Join me as we delve into open communication, ethical non-monogamy, and the unique dynamics of polyamory, swinging, and much more. Get ready for candid conversations, expert insights, and real-life experiences. This podcast contains mature themes and frank discussions about non-monogamous lifestyles, so listener discretion is advised. Whether you're curious about non-monogamy or a seasoned pro, this podcast is definitely for you, but just remember, it contains explicit language and sexual situations, so discretion is advised. Let's dive into the fascinating world of consensual non-monogamy together. Welcome to the Pineapple Express Podcast, and I'm your host, Kylie, a.k.a. Sexy Swinger Chick. And I'm Brad, a.k.a. Brad the Space Cadet. Journey with us as we navigate in ethical non-monogamy, sex positivity, sex work, and relationship advice as millennial swingers. Explore with us as we share some of our upside-down pineapple ventures with you. All All aboard aboard the Pineapple Pineapple Express. Express! Hello, my Pineapple Express friends. So today we're going to do a podcast on sexual diversity and neurodivergency, which I'm super excited about. I have a fabulous guest on here to have these conversations with me uh, from the perspective of an autistic person in the sex positive spaces. Uh, But before we dive into that, I want to give you guys some numbers and just some background into neurodivergency and uh, sexual diversity. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but up to 70% 70 of people who are autistic identify as LGBTQIA+. Uh, They're two to three times more likely to identify as LGB, so lesbian, gay, or bisexual, more likely to be polyamorous, more likely to be genderqueer, and increased ACE or asexual, aromantic identification. So as we can see here, just based on the numbers, that there is a higher prevalence of sexual diversity within the neurodivergent community. As a neurodivergent person myself, I am diagnosed with ADHD, and I know a lot of people within the community who identify as autistic, um, ODUHD, which is ADHD and autism. So I think that it's really, really interesting to have these conversations. I know that uh, Polly Phila, so if you guys don't know who Polly Phila is, um, her name's Leanne, and she is probably one of the top, you know, content creators in the non-monogamous space, and she is outward autistic, and she really talks about how um, non-monogamy really benefits her and being polyamorous. Um, A big thing to recognize, though, is that um, Polyphila, she aired Leanne. She doesn't speak for the whole entire autistic community. You know, she talks about how it really works for her, but for some people, it doesn't. You know, she's met autistic people who it doesn't, you know, non monogamy doesn't work for. But, you know, I think that really it, it works for a lot of us because, and, you know, me being neurodivergent, um, it's because it's it helps with our communication styles um it's it's really been beneficial for me 
you know, as somebody who's gone through my life as an ADHD, a person with ADHD, you know, it, it's it's been very beneficial for, for many, many different reasons. And I love that Leanne talks about this. And I love a lot of creators who are talking about it. In a Psychology Today article, um, it talks about how People with ADHD have a harder time with um, monogamy itself, and research finds that ADHD people, uh, ADHD people, is it's tied to a greater interest in consensual non-monogamy. So I really, I really think that's important as well. Um, Justin Laymiller, uh, who is with the Kinsey Institute, and he has his own podcast, which I love. Um, talk. He really talks about in this article with Psychology Today, which I'll link um, about how people with ADHD, it just seems consensual non-monogamy just seems more right for them, you know, and um, he really talks about this and, and I love it. This article is amazing and eye-opening. In the article, he talks about how men with ADHD might present as having more of a, um, you know, sexual appetite, maybe they're considered hypersexual. So, you know, swinging could actually be beneficial for them. But not a whole lot of research has been put into this matter, but there's still some research into it, just like the numbers that I gave you, you know, that people are who are on the neurodivergent spectrum, they just relate more with diverse, you know, sexualities. I find a lot of these topics so interesting. That's why I'm so grateful that Tanya came on and talked about it a little bit with us. Um, We talk about kind of how in the swinger setting, how we can help people with neurodivergencies. And, you know, the recommendation that was given and you guys will hear is like, really just providing safe spaces for people who are neurodivergent and understanding that, you know, as consensual non-monogamy and swinging places and polyamorous communities grow to be more, um, I guess, understanding of that within these spaces and, you know, people's sexual diversities and neurodiversities. And also, if you fall under the umbrella of neurodiversity, you know, you may have been told in the past that polyamorous or alternative relationship styles aren't for you, but I just want people to know that This is not true. But you have to remember that neurodiversity is such a broad spectrum. Um, But one common struggle with neurodivergent people is navigating social interactions. And sometimes they might have trouble reading facial expressions or interpreting social cues. And the communication may be very direct in a way that can be received as a little abrasive. Um, But you should know that like they have a little bit more difficulty managing time management and processing their feelings in the moment, which this is something that I can relate to because as somebody who has ADHD, I am terrible, terrible. And any of my friends will tell you I'm actually really, really bad at time management and um, being able to process my feelings in the moment. Sometimes I say things that are brash. I mean, even if you follow me on social media, like, you know that I am like super brash and just super out there. And if I feel something, I say it in that moment. But it's important to recognize that not all neurodivergent people are kinky, queer, trans, or non-monogamous, and a lot of them relate to monogamy, and that works for them. Uh, And the relationship between neurodivergent and sexual gender identities is really personal to that person. But it's important to recognize that 
these different spaces, you know, because of people's consent to touch and, you know, because there are, you know, that that is one good thing about these spaces for people who are neurodivergent. But then on the other hand, you have to look at swinger events, right? Swinger events can be very loud. They can be very a lot of lights and a lot of sounds. Um, and I think that that's one thing to recognize is that we should really start creating spaces within our swinger spaces, which tend to be, again, loud and very much sensory overload. We should be creating spaces that aren't so much of that and we should be creating safe spaces for those who are neurodivergent. And more of the studies that were done. So the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health published findings that people with ADHD had a significantly higher preference for same sex or either sex partners and were more sexually adventurous and had higher rates of electronic sexual exchanges and masturbation. So I'm assuming a lot of the guys in my DMs who are sending me dick pics, maybe they are neurodivergent. (laughs) Um, And research published by Frontiers in Psychology found that people with ADHD are more likely to participate in sexual risk-taking behaviors, such as having multiple partners, kink-related stuff. And um, some autism research found that autistic individuals are less likely to self-identify as heterosexual and more likely to report being being asexual, bisexual, or homosexual, or an other sexuality. Transgender individuals are three times more likely to be autistic compared to cisgendered people, according to establish uh, a published studied by the Nature Communications. And a Dialogues in Clinical Neuroscience study concluded that individuals with autism spectrum disorder are more likely to have non-normative sexual behaviors and interests such as paraphilas. So the research is pretty conclusive. Those with neurodivergencies tend to go more toward the alternative sexual lifestyles, right? Just like the swinger lifestyle. So that's why this podcast is really important. It's important to start having these conversations within our communities and finding ways that we can be more understanding and more proactive in creating those safe spaces for everybody that has all different types of neurodivergencies. This includes ADHD, I know that I've been to conventions, uh, swinger conventions where they've done, you know, the different conference style, uh, you know, boardroom meetings where uh, we have classes for BDSM kink uh, swinger stuff. And a lot of times they are very, you know, these meetings are very like ADHD, um, you know, they, they give you a props and things to play with, you know, to, to keep your mind on onto the subject matter. So I think that that's really awesome. NCSF does a great job of this. I always talk about NCSF and I'm going to continue talking about NCSF because I just love them. Um, but yeah, definitely some things to think about, some things to consider. If you guys ever have any questions, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for listening because Tanya does an amazing job in this podcast um, talking about it. So I'm going to give a brief explanation of who Tanya is. And I really, really just encourage you guys to start thinking about these things. And really, if you have anything that you want to say about it, make sure that you reach out to me. But before we go on, 
I'm going to give you guys a word from my sponsors. Remember, guys, that my sponsors keep this podcast going, keep this content going for you guys um, because it helps me, you know, take the time off work. And um, it, it takes a lot of time, you guys. You don't realize how much content creating, how much time it takes. I probably do 40 to 60 hours a week content creating which is insane. So please, please help me out. If any of these, uh, you know, sponsors seem interesting to you, whether it be a uh, swinger website, maybe uh, clothing for an event or a festival that you're going to, whether it be Promescent, which they have uh, lubes and toys or STI testing or ED medication from Shameless Care, please, please use my links. Help me get commission on this because it goes a long way. Hey, Upside Down Pineapple people, join the millions of couples enjoying amazing sex with Promescent. I personally love their variety of products they offer, and their aloe-based lube is the only lube I've ever used that doesn't throw off my pH. Brad loves their delay spray, which is clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. Their products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping on orders in the U.S. over $10. Their shipping is discreet and private, which is perfect for us in the swinger lifestyle. Make sure that you go to www.promescent.com backslash Kylie for all your discreet sexual health needs. My link is in the show notes. Promescent helps you live your best upside down pineapple life. I get asked all the time, how do I get into the non-monogamous lifestyle? And I've got the solution for you. It's the three fun app. It's the best dating app for couples and singles looking to explore open relationships. It's totally millennial friendly, aka it's in the 21st century, you guys. This is finally a dating app for us non-monogamous folks who are looking for a unicorn. Maybe you're looking for a bull. Maybe you're looking for a couple. This is my favorite app and I use it all the time. If you want to find a link to it, just go to www.sexyswingerchick.net and you'll find my link. I hope to see you guys there. If you're like us, you want a naughty lifestyle without risk. You want to have sex with other couples, some of whom you barely know, and walk away scotch-free, no STDs or other complications. You want to have your cake and eat it too. We want that for you too. Shameless Care offers lifestyle-specific at-home STD testing and prescription ED medications, and we should be your lifestyle medical provider. Use coupon code CHIC, that's C-H-I-C, at checkout. Introducing the Sultry Vixen, your one-stop shop for all your sex work and raveware needs. Whether you're hitting the pole or the festival scene, the Sultry Vixen has got you covered. From dance shoes to box outfits, custom dance outfits, and lingerie to vibrant festival outfits, they've got the perfect gear to make you shine. Stand out with their neon rave accessories and all of their costumes that will take your festival experience to the next level. And they also carry men's and plus sizes. They are a family-owned and operated ravewear slash dancewear shop located in Riverside, California. The quickest way to reach them is directly through their Instagram. Visit thesultryvixen.com today for the hottest trends in dance and rave fashion. Dance more and glow more with the Sultry Vixen. 
Hey guys, so Tanya Diamond is a polymath. She is a leader in Tantra and she's a Tantra lineage holder, business and life strategist. Her 45 years of unique worldwide education, extensive knowledge in thousands of subjects and certifications in hundreds of modalities make her to the go-to for everyone who needs solutions and results quickly. Tanya is a number one international best-selling author, two times international TEDx speaker, and the creator of Modern Tantra, the seven tantras of integrated intelligence. Her coach certification programs are the most rigorous in the world. Guys, Tanya is amazing and she's also neurodivergent, which helps her be such a polymath in everything. So I want to hand it over to her. And you guys, I really hope you enjoy everything that she has to say. Welcome to the Pineapple Express, you guys. I have an awesome, amazing, amazing woman on my podcast today. I am so excited to connect with her. So Tanya is a tantric teacher and has over 45 years of unique experience and education in tons of different subjects. I was like blown away by how much you like just you do you have your hand in everything. You're like literally a jack of all trades. Um, And she's a best selling author and a rising neurodivergent creator in sex positive spaces. So Tanya, I just want to welcome you to the Pineapple Express podcast. And I'm, I just wanted to tell you, I'm just so grateful that you're here today and I can't wait to learn more about you. Well, I'm super excited. And, uh, yeah, I want to, uh, uh, clarify one thing. So I'm a classical Tantra lineage holder and I'm a neuro Tantra, neo Tantra expert. So, and we're different. Can you explain a little bit of what the differences in those are? Absolutely can. So Tantra is a East Indian technology for, um, it's a scientific technology for self-awareness, one of the most powerful in the world. And it is dogmatic and systematic and very rigid. And you get it passed down from guru to student. It's not something you can read in a book. It's not something you can download like in your brain. It's a very systematic dogmatic. It's And the word tantra actually means scientific treaty or the path. There's 137 nouns for Tantra and people have picked weave uh, to Neo-Tantra. People use the term weave for Tantra, but actually that refers to an actual loom weaving on an actual loom. So it's not actually the, the actual correct uh, terminology. Neo-Tantra happened uh, in about the 11th century and was brought over to the States via uh, some different types of yoga teachers and stuff who was like mainly about, oh, let's have great sex, hour long mm-hmm. orgasm all that stuff. And it's awesome, but it has almost nothing to do with actual Tantra. That's what I learned uh, when I started doing like Kundalini yoga and different practices like that. I, cause that was always my like misconception. I was like, it's all about Tantra is all about sex. And I think I saw like a episode of sex in the city where there was like a a tantric teacher and they were, and that's where that came from, from me. So Sting, you know, was talking about Tantra 90-minute orgasms way back mm-hmm. when. So everybody was like, oh, Tantra, Tantra, Tantra. American Pie, the movie, super cool movie, talks about Tantra. One of the characters is into Tantra, right? And so that's all Neo-Tantra. Only 3% of, of classic Tantra is about sex. But it's way more powerful. It is. And also, I think, too, like, it's a lot of inner work, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you start practicing Tantra, which 
gets you to a, a less shameful place, which can help with sexuality. But it's not you're exactly right. It's not all about sex. Um, just like, you know, the non-monogamous and swinging lifestyle, people have these misconceptions that it's all sexual. Everyone's out there having and we're not we're we're it's a lot more than that, you know? Um, so I did want to ask you a little bit about neurodiversity. I myself am neurodiverse and I think it's really important to start having these conversations, especially as we move into, um, a world where everyone is coming into these sex positive and non-monogamous spaces, right? And doing a lot of research into neurodiversity and neurodiverse individuals, non-monogamy is actually a really awesome practice for them, right? And it's been really awesome for me uh, as I have ADHD and I've been diagnosed since I was like 16 years old. And it's been so helpful to like just you know, gaining, gaining access to that part of me. So I kind of wanted to ask you what neurodiversity looks like to you and how you kind of define yourself and go out through the world, you know, as a neurodiverse human. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm an autistic polymath and the polymath is why, you know, you're like, wow, what don't you do? Uh, polymaths are experts in many, many subjects. I have masteries and certifications and over like 500, I think it is now, different types of modalities. But, um, and so my autism presents with the ability to read 2,700 words a minute and retain 85% of that information and amass knowledge like Google. My friends call me Google. So that's how mine presents as well as the, when I was younger, and it was not diagnosed because I'm 62. So I grew up in Africa in the 70s and nobody was, I was just the kid that never sat still and talked all the time to everybody, disseminating information. You know, I'd read Encyclopedia Britannica and, and you know, and just tell everybody everything that was cool. <laughs> and people were like, oh, shut up already. <laughs> so um, I was that kid. Also uh, thought that everybody thought I was developmentally delayed because I was reading Encyclopedia Britannica at home, but they didn't understand. I snapshot read. I don't read words. So it, when I went to school, I couldn't figure out how to see Jack run because they were separating words and the alphabet was confounding. Like, what is the alphabet? These all these separate. Yeah. So it wasn't until I was in sixth grade that somebody asked me a question, a teacher, and then she was like, yeah, they do some testing with you. And that was when I. I'm developed, I'm gifted when I found out I was gifted. So mm -hmm. I can't super high, but autism didn't show up until on a diagnosis until in my, I was probably close to my thirties before a doctor said anything about that. So yeah, you know, childhood because nobody got it uh, super bright, but with some weird quirks that didn't fit into the way things were, people were doing, um, you know? So when I, I only came out as autistic about a two, year and a half ago, uh, to the shock of almost everybody that met me. But I realized it wasn't that I was hiding it, but I realized I'm not doing my fellow autistic people a service because everybody has a very specific idea of what they think autism is. Mm -hmm. And they think people have are a little autistic or a lot autistic. And that's not true. There are seven, there are seven boxes with things that you have to check in them. And you'll, every one of us that is autistic has something in that box, whether it's a little bit of it or a lot of it. So the spectrum isn't little to most. It's like communication, obviously, is an okay thing for me. And yet mm -hmm. I'm a sensory freak. You know, if the something wrong thing touches me, like crazy town. 
right? But when I learned how to regulate my nervous system, 80% of my autistic traits that I couldn't handle were not, were totally handleable. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of help recovering, helping people with neurodivergency, not be victim to their neurodivergency in the sense that if they, they feel like it's a problem, but actually by regulating your nervous system, you can almost tamp all of that. Um, yeah. That. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing that like, you know, and I, a lot of the spaces I'm in um, are a lot of neurodivergent people I work with. I do a lot of theater. I do, you know, especially non-monogamous spaces. And I just think that that's really amazing that not only can you, you know, be the person that they go to for help, um, but you can just be kind of somebody who they can relate to. There's not a lot of people in the media, you know, you're somebody, you're a best-selling author, you've been, you've done TED Talks, like you're somebody who people can relate to. And I think that that's so beautiful and amazing that you've done that. And I just want to say thank you so much for being <laughs> out there. You, you know, you should really be proud of that, honestly. Thank you so much. Um, I did want to ask you, you know, I'm in non-monogamous spaces. Um, I'm a swinger and, you know, non-monogamous uh polyamory, all of those things. And could you share like a little bit of your perspective on the intersection of neurodiversity and non-monogamous relationships? Yeah, that was an interesting because I was looking at that going, wow. So first of all, I've been, I'm, I'm a, a flex anonymous. <laughs> so basically I am, I've been monogamous. I've been not monogamous. I've been cheating monogamous. I've been like, uh, you know, so the full <laughs> spectrum of the gamut of whatever it is. <laughs> All relationship styles in one. <laughs> All relationship styles with lots of sex and lots of bad sex and lots of great, you know, so like I've been there, done that kind of thing. Um, explored all the the world of kink, the taboo, like if it like pretty much even to some fairly extremes, I've tried it out. And so that intersection between those two, that's such an interesting thing because I would have never thought to qualify that there is a difference. Like I would have never thought, oh, neurodivergent, is that different in monogamy versus non-monogamy? Um, because in my world, like where the presence, so the ta what Tantra has taught me, and I learned Tantra, classical Tantra in my early twenties, is that presence is where it's at, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, are you present to what's going on? And I also have a, uh, people thought it was a problem, a um, intolerance for unhappiness. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not happy, then I seek to find out what's going on. Why am I not happy? So I'm not even really sure. I was so fascinated by that question. I'm not even really sure how to answer it because some people will say that if you're neurodivergent, but of course, you know, Let's also say that neurodivergent is a catch-all, right? Mm -hmm. and wow, it means something completely different. So like Love on the Spectrum, that show makes me insane. How Does it? Oh my gosh. I am like freaking out about that show. Oh, I can't, I can't go there because I'm like, wow, this portrayal is so bizarre. Tell us a little bit about why, why you feel that way. And I'm curious because I like, this is the thing I think as a normal person, and I don't want to say normal because I'm also <laughs> neurodivergent, <As a> person. <laughs> but as a human looking in, and that's what you see the portrayal as, I think that it's really important to let people know like, hey, this is 
it almost feels like a caricature yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it feels like an over the top, like what did they go out and pick the people that have the least functioning and different things and say, let's get you together for entertainment. Right. Because That's kind of what it felt like to me too. And I thought I was weird for thinking this. No, no. I'm like almost horrified. Like I don't, because they don't have enough diversity. Mm -hmm. right? So like if they put me on there, people would be going, Oh, why am I watching this? This person's not doing anything too weird. I mean, I'm awkward. I'm socially awkward. Um, so, you know, that can be fun to watch as somebody who had so much sex. If I'm attracted to somebody, I go bright red and stammer like a 16 year old, you know, it looks like <laughs> a virgin. Uh, so it's ridiculous, but yeah, I, I just think it's just like taking really like diving into, to some of the, you, you said it caricatures kind of thing. More yeah. of that. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit, that's another reason why I kind of came out and I use that word come out, but really it was just identify as and put it out there on my profile and everything because yeah, like, and hey, just hold up, <laughs> be yourself, you know, be yourself and be authentic in who you are, which believe it or not, I feel like really does help people identify with with you it helps them identify with themselves too and they could say oh my god you know i'm i'm this person and this person is like me and i identify with them and i think that that's honestly like such a beautiful thing um i've found that in the non-monogamous and the swinger lifestyle a lot of the people in that lifestyle especially the content creators that i personally follow and know tend to have some neurodivergencies, whether it be ADHD, um, odd UHD, um, which is autistic and ADHD put together, you know, and so I started doing like a little bit of research into this. Why, why is this? And I think because non-monogamy, you know, with communication styles and it, it almost like elevates all of that to where you have to learn how to communicate a certain way. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that that's where that comes from. A lot of people who are neurodivergent I've met in these spaces. So then that opens us as swingers up or non-monogamous people to, to really learn how to communicate with people um, who are neurodivergent. You want me to drop some controversy here that's going to shake everybody up? Yeah, Please. Let's do, that. let's do that. So first of all, most people, and I'm going to say a lot, well, let's say way up there of people that are identifying or have been diagnosed with neurodivergency uh, have unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. And so you put unresolved trauma and sex together. And what you have is a lot of people who are like, uh, don't communicate well, right? Mm -hmm. Have triggers around uh, commitment, who have problems in stable relationships. And, you know, stable can be not anyone, right? Now, I'm not saying non-monogamous aren't stable, just so I'm clear, but stay, you know, these types of things. And that idea that variety is the spice of life mm -hmm. thing. So I'm always, you know, I'm always, always curious, it, like in the kink world, you know, I've got interviewed in the kink world and people sometimes hate me because I'm like, dude, seriously, I could take a whole bunch of people here and say, you resolve that trauma and you won't be doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. what would Which is like? true. It, absolutely. And so people tend to not like hearing that. But to me, almost every one of us has unresolved trauma. You can't like be a human anymore without that. Mm -mm. And so it's like, first, seek to resolve that trauma, then see who you are without those programs. Because if you grow up in a house where you have anxiety and depression and other things, you will have that. That's a program you learn. So it's not generational. It's you learn that program. 
And so you take that program now as your own. And most of our behaviors are learned. Mm-hmm. Most of our traits are actually learned. They're not actually us. That is so astounding to most people. The thing we had didn't say is I wanted to be a neurosurgeon and I have a huge background in science. I read medical abstracts for fun, cognitive and psychology behavior and that kind of stuff, NLP, hypnotherapy, whatever it is. So I'm all about why do we work? Evolutionary biology, our neurochemistry, neuropathways. That's what I'm all about. And so it's such fun to deep dive into any of these. Now, that said, um, you know, you're seeing now people identifying as neurodivergent in these swinging's been around since forever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how but I'm 62 years old. So like I've been in this space for a long time of, of sex and people weren't, uh, I wouldn't say that that was true. Like mm-hmm. if I look at the characteristics of the people that I knew, and what it, I wouldn't say, oh, they were all neurodivergent or most of them were. So I believe, even though I can label myself as autistic or whatever, the big thing for me is who am I? What, what are my agreements with myself? That's the big thing. Like, if you agree that you're going to be monogamous, then freaking be monogamous or change the agreement. If you're going to swing, fine, fix those agreements. But the one thing that I love about the non-monogamy world is what you said, the communication that has to go deeper than what most monogamous, most monogamous people have huge assumptions. We like each other. We're dating. We're monogamous. We'll get married. <laughs> Just like no conversation, like it's just a paradigm. Mm-hmm. So I love that more and more of this, like have to talk about those agreements, have to communicate, have to get those things, which are self-reflection are coming out. So I don't even think neurodivergent necessarily like plays as heavy into that as just like, who are we as a person? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going off the scale or disappointing to hear or that was just my take. Not at all. I, I I appreciate that take because you know what? I think that, you know, we live in these, I feel like with, especially with labels, right? So labels, especially in the non-monogamous community. I mean, like you said, you've, you've been in swinging spaces, you know about it. You know, we have all these labels, right? Unicorn, bull, stag vixen, hot wife, <laughs> hot husband, you know, we could right. go on and on and on, right? Dom, sub, all of it, right? Labels are meant to define us, but not really. They're really what they're meant for is to connect us with the people that we need to be connected with. Right. Like, yeah, we're looking for somebody you're, you're wandering around with a Dobbs Dom sticker on or whatever, then, you know, somebody who wants to be a sub can identify you in that way. But that doesn't mean that you're right together. Right. It just gives you a, a little bit more of pairing off. And yet all the labels that identify us are really so very superficially identifying us. You know, like think about what it would look like, you know, if you were to categorize yourself and I've taken some of those quizzes, what kink type are you? And what, you know, of course we all know. And it's like, holy crap, well, how many different labels would I have here to identify myself? <laughs> Insane. Um, so I think there, it's good. And I also think people can lean too heavy into it as a way to not actually show up but let the label lead right a hundred percent especially now you know when when i i talk with a lot of uh people in gen z i'm a millennial so i'm in my 30s and a lot of these younger 20s you know they have like all of these sexuality labels right like 
demi which i know what demisexual means and like all of it right like demisexual asexual um ace like all of these which feel new to me right P pansexual like when i was growing up it was like you're either bisexual you are gay or you're straight you know so then now we have <laughs> right within the romance and the poly like i only like yeah romantic uh here but i have sex with this type and then you know i'm fascinated quite frankly i'm like fascinated at the and love the openness of the expression but it was like i grew up in the punk rock era right where we were punk rocking to individuate ourselves while we all look the same. Uh, right. <laughs> it's like, or goth, you know, you're doing goth, you're emo goth because you're like, you want to identify, but everybody in your circle looks the same. It looks like, just like you, right? right. You're all still start shopping at Hot Topic, right? <laughs> hey, I shop there. I love Hot Topic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did want to ask, and I feel like this is a really important question because I've seen in a lot of non-monogamous spaces, there tends not to be a lot of, um, I would say spaces for people who are neurodivergent, you, you know? Um, so I just wanted to really ask you, like, how can non-monogamous communities and even individuals in these communities just be more proactive and understanding and embracing the diverse needs of people who are neurodivergent? What can we do to enhance their experiences? Well, you know, and, and I would go back to like, how do we enhance anybody's experience, mm -hmm. right? In any of these things? Well, because neurodivergency is such a huge conglomerate of so many different things, you could never actually accommodate everybody, just like we can't accommodate everybody anyway. So mm -hmm. with the idea of, so, you know, if I were to say, oh, I'm going to put on a neurodivergent, divergent, you know, summit, sex summit, like, wow, how would I do that? Like how, how many different varieties of things do I have to explore? So I think as with everything, creating a safe place for people to show up as they are. But I also think it's up to us in the neurodivergent community to also have the courage to state our needs, mm -hmm. right? And then the space we're in can say, yes, we can accommodate that. No, we can't, this is not the right place. Because there's so many nuances, there's no way for one single space to ever like be neurodivergent friendly to everybody. Mm -hmm. They certainly can. And I think a lot of non-monogamous spaces that I've been to are about the communication, are about like, what are your needs? What are your different styles? What What is this? Or the kink space even like, right? Oh, I like, just because I like a whip doesn't mean I like to be whipped hard, mm -hmm. right? Or here or there. So with anything, it's the, you know, say it out, right? We're a, we're a safe neurodivergent space. What does that mean? Well, that means we're going to listen. And accommodate. And accommodate, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go to a space with super bright, loud music and bright lights and you're neurodivergent and can't do that, you're either showing up with your headphones on, you know, but then that's something that isn't ridiculed. That's something that's just accepted. Mm -hmm. But I think most of those spaces kind of do that already. And then- there are people who just flat out don't want to deal with anybody else's strangeness or quirks or traits. And we can't really stop that. So you walk into any space, kink space, non-monogamous space, swinger space, coffee shop space, 
if it's not your vibe, then you got to go find something else. And that goes with anything, right? That's like, right. Right. Absolutely. I think that it's advocating for yourself as a neurodivergent individual and saying, okay, listen, like, I know that I get really overwhelmed and really overstimulated by loud music and loud, you know, loud people. So yeah. it might be better for me to to go to a social gathering in a coffee shop with swingers, you know. Um, okay. It might be better for me to go to a house party and ask, you know, the the whoever the host of that is to make sure that you know we can just accommodate not loud music because I get really overwhelmed or like do they have a safe space where I can go when I need to and I need quiet and I need yeah you know bring your headphones or mm -hmm. whatever you need to do because you know we can talk about the same with able-bodied right or not like do they accommodate wheelchairs right you know I mean we as people, I feel like a lot of the time we expect other people to accommodate all of us. Mm -hmm. And there's no way any one thing can accommodate everybody. And so mm -hmm. the advocation for yourself, the ability to ask the right questions, when you know yourself, you can call an organizer up, you can call an event up, you can read about, ask the questions, and then either A, you can make it happen, right? Like a headphones, whatever you need to bring, safe space, go sit in your car for a while, whatever. Or you make the decision that's not your place. And if you find too many places that aren't your place, guess what? Start your own. There are yep. probably other people <laughs> that are having the same trials you are uh, in that. So, you know, I'm somebody who doesn't like to be touched by other people unless I want to be touched by other people. Now that sounds weird to go into a space where everybody's touching each other. Uh, but they but, shouldn't be touching you without asking. Right. So, you know, so therein you go. There you go. And in the Tantra world, it's horrifying. People just ooze all over you. They just like show up and assume and ooze all over you. Oh, you're a Tantra master. I got women hanging off me and what I call oozing their energy on me. I'm like, whoa, hold up, Nellie. That's not cool. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a conference recently at a speaking conference and this guy walked up and he grabbed my shoulder and he started talking to me super close, trying to sell me something. And I was like, whoa, back up. And then he you looked don't at me know me, sir. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> We're fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Then you know what he said to me when he found out I was autistic? He goes, oh, you just didn't like it because you're autistic. No, I didn't I like, like it because I'm a human. Yeah. I said, I don't like it because I don't like you. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I think we face the same thing anywhere we are, that we are our best advocates, knowing mm -hmm. your style, knowing your traits, knowing your behaviors, knowing your stuff is always the sure way. And then having the boundaries and having that voice, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the most incredible part of any part of being a human Yeah, is the ability to do that. And I think that that, you know, what you're saying too goes along with consent. I think it goes along with any sort of diversities. You know, if you're somebody, if you're a person of color and you don't want to be fetishized in these communities, right? you say that. You say, I, when you're communicating with people in these communities, listen, I'm not comfortable being fetishized. Like this is a part of my consent, you know, and, and that's, and this is anybody with any sort of any differences this goes beyond color of your skin or or neurodivergence whatever yeah mm -hmm. whatever you know somebody walks up and says yo i've never banged an autistic chick and i'm like yo and you're not going to tonight literally <laughs> right <laughs> right
Right. Yo, I've never, I've never banged a blonde before. You know, I've yeah, never, I've is. never banged, uh, you know, whatever. It's like, if you don't want to be fetishized, if you don't want to, if that's not where you want to be, then th you have to advocate that for yourself and say, Hey, listen, dude, <laughs> I'm not here for that. Like, yeah. talk to me and treat me like I'm a person, you know, and that goes a, a long way with consent. So I really appreciate that, you know, you said that because that I talk about advocating for yourself all the time in these spaces because no one else is going to advocate for you. That's the reality of it. You got to do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the expectation that the world somehow accommodates you uh, is a kind of a um, privilege, kind of coming from a privileged standpoint. I've grew up all over the world. I grew up in Africa and South America and all over the world. And I'll tell you right now that, you know, our idea that everything should be accommodated just because you're alive is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. and that pisses a lot of people off too, but the reality, I don't mind pissing people off. But the, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the flat out truth that, um, you know, you're not entitled to anything except the respect that you put boundaries around for yourself. Right. You know? And, and then, unless you make those clear boundaries for yourself with others, no one should be expected to accommodate for you. You know, we just had, I just did a theater production with somebody who was on the spectrum, um, newly diagnosed. And like this person was being physically abusive um, to other cast members backstage. And this person, you know, used their neurodivergency as part of this. Yeah. yeah. And that almost like, it makes it so okay there's a lot of neurodivergent people in this cast who are not hitting other people and hurting other people and it it almost like it it just puts a really bad taste in your mouth you're like why are you using that as an okay, okay to act like that that's not okay but a lot, and a lot of people do oh see i can't hold a conversation because i'm neurodivergent oh i can't so i think as neurodivergents we need to be very careful of not leaning into that as an excuse for behaviors that we can actually change mm -hmm. that I'm very serious about because I had some not very good. I mean, I had some really bad behaviors and characteristics that I could very well have said, well, I'm autistic. That's the way I roll. And yet like, where's my responsibility then to, you know, people I'm with and the world, I just like say, you know, okay, you know, I guess I'm just an asshole and that's just how it is. And if I don't care that nobody likes me and that I'm hurting people, then I guess I can just roll that way. Right. right. That's my, per that's my right to do as well, to have nobody be interacting with me because of that. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So before we end, um, can you tell us more where people can find you or the other work that you do that you're really passionate about and how you can be a resource for people in the non-monogamous community? Absolutely. So um, basically, if you can spell my name, which is T-A-N-J, remember the J-A, Diamond, Tanya Diamond, you'll find me on, search me, you'll find me on 20 pages of Google at least. So Learning Tantra um, is... Uh, my, one of my websites. And so I work with people related um, sec, you know, that have sex issues or are looking to open up their relationships or stay monogamous, whichever it is they want to do, as well as um, recover your life. I help people resolve their traumas that they have in like very 20 minutes a day. I can resolve trauma that has been fixed in years. So I'm really into how we work, how we think, 
And uh, weirdly enough, I'm, as you said, doing a lot. I'm also a speaker coach for TEDx speakers. So I like to have my fingers, part of my neurodivergency, in a lot of pieces of pie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as long as you can find my name or spell my name, you can find me. And I certainly, I'm on, Facebook is my jam. I know I'm that old. I'm still a Facebook jammer. So you can definitely find me on there too. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, I have a lot of gratitude for you coming on here, speaking your truth, being your authentic self. And I really hope that, you know, a lot of my listeners can resonate with you and hopefully connect with you in some facet. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. It was a privilege. And, you know, everybody just work on unloading all the stuff that isn't you so you can be you. Awesome. Thanks for riding on the Pineapple Express with us.